Dear congregation, let us turn from God's holy word to Hebrews, the epistle to Hebrews. And as we come to really the end of especially the theological excursion also in the epistle to Hebrews, I'd like to recap from Hebrews 1 and see how it really wraps up even in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 25 through 29, which will be our text for today. And then before the author to Hebrews goes into uh, moral and more ecclesiastical directions, uh, practical instruction for the church in chapter 13. So let us turn to Hebrews chapter 1. We'll read a few bits and pieces throughout Hebrews to really show the movement through Hebrews to come to chapter 12. Hebrews 1, and we'll begin reading with verse 1, and we'll read through verse 4, and then we'll just follow my lead in asking you to turn to the next passage. You can find it on page 1372 in your pew Bible, Hebrews 1, verse 1. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in times past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by his Son, whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom he also made the worlds, by being who being in the brightness of his glory and express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high, having become so much better than the angels, as he has by inheritance obtained a more excellent name than they. Hebrews chapter 2, and we'll also read the first four verses. Reminding us that God in these last days has spoken through His Son. Here, Hebrews 2. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his will. And then we'll turn to Hebrews 3. As God speaks through his Son by his Holy Spirit, And we find there in Hebrews 3, verse 7, Therefore the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you will hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. And we find that uh, quote from Psalm 95, which we sang earlier in our worship service, repeated again in verse 14. And we find it again repeated in chapter 4, verse 7. Today, if you will hear His voice, do not Harden your hearts. And there we recognize that the emphasis is on without hearing his voice and believing, we cannot enter into God's rest or into the city of the living God, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, as we heard this morning. And so we want to now turn to Hebrews 12 in that context. Hebrews 12, verse 25. 
and see that you do not refuse him who speaks. For if they did not escape who refused him who spoke on earth, much more shall we not escape if we turn away from him who speaks from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he has promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not only the earth, but also heaven. Now this yet once more indicates the removal of those things that are being shaken as of things that are made, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. May God bless the reading of his precious and infallible word and add his blessing to the exposition of it. Well, as we read through that, dear congregation, from Hebrews 1 all the way to Hebrews 12, the message is clear as to what God wants us to hear. He wants us to hear his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He wants us to listen to him. He wants us to believe him, the one who speaks from heaven. He doesn't want you just to listen to the pastor. He wants you to listen to his word, to his son, and see that you do not refuse him who speaks. He calls us again and again, listen up, listen up, listen up. And he reminds us, that when we draw near to God by faith, faith believes Him who speaks. And that's what our theme will be for this afternoon. Faith believes Him who speaks. And we'll see that with two thoughts. First of all, believes Him who speaks by receiving an unshakable kingdom. And secondly, by receiving grace to serve God. Faith believes him who speaks by receiving an unshakable kingdom. You see, when we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive a kingdom from God, an unshakable kingdom, as we are brought into his kingdom. And what we recognize here in our passage is that, again, just like before, we are being shown the contrast between that which is shakable and that which is unshakable. And it's as if God is coming to plead with us as our parents do so often, would you just listen to me? Would you just listen to me? Will you not listen to me when I'm speaking? He says to us, Today, while it is yet day, hear my voice and do not harden your hearts. He he quotes it several times throughout Hebrews. He says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? How shall we escape if we don't hear Him who speaks from heaven? And we need to all desperately grasp This message from Hebrews. Because by nature, or instinctively, 
we will always refuse him who speaks. Not a one of us, without the grace of God, will ever open our ears and listen to God. Not a one of us. Because by nature, our hearts are man-centered. They're man-shaped. But they need to become God-centered and God-shaped so that our eyes are open to the truths of His Word, our ears are open to the truths of His Word, and our hearts receive His Word and His kingdom. I think of how important it is to be shaken by God. To see if we indeed do have a God-shaped heart or a man-shaped heart. That's the very essence of who we are. Because that's what ultimately makes the difference, isn't it? I remember when I was a child, we had these... I think Tupperware made them. Maybe ask Brianna sometime if you see her if Tupperware still makes these little toys that have all the different shapes and, and you, you could put that shape in into it and, and I would always like want to try to shake it out because I, couldn't be, I wasn't strong enough as a child to pull it apart and to get all those little blocks out. But you know if you put a square one in, you weren't going to get it into a round shape. And if you were trying to shake it out, you weren't going to get a round shape out of a square hole either. You see what happens when God shakes. All the round shape hearts, the human hearts, as it were, come through the holes. But the God-shaped hearts stay in His kingdom. We need a God-shaped heart desperately. We need a heart that's been radically changed by the grace of God. Because what happens when we turn to God's Word otherwise and we come to the Gospel itself and we come to Mount Sinai and we say we have to leave Mount Sinai because there's no salvation found on Mount Sinai. The mountain is shaking. I can't touch that mountain. I can't approach God. I can't draw near to Him. And so we think we're on our way to Mount Zion and with a man-shaped heart we try to figure out what man, what Mount Zion looks like. And as we think about Mount Zion, then we think, well, it's not Mount Sinai, so the law isn't there. And so we can just do what's right in our own eyes and and follow our own imagination as to what Mount Zion looks like. That's what happens with a man-centered heart. It develops its own worship. And it serves the God of antinomianism, the God that's against Sinai and against the law of God. And that's not what the author to Hebrews wants us to conclude. No, he says, you have come to a kingdom of God. And in this kingdom of God, it's not man doing the shaking, it's God doing the shaking. He's the one doing the shaking.
And when He shakes, He shakes according to His Word and according to His Gospel and according to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you think He's not serious, think about what He says. For if they did not escape who refused Him who spoke on earth, how much more shall we not escape if we turn away from Him who speaks from heaven? You see, he goes from the lesser again to the greater, much like he did in Hebrews chapter 2. If people did not escape when they heard him who spoke on earth, then how will we ever escape if we refuse him who speaks from heaven? The one whose voice shook the earth, and if you touched the mountain, you would die. From that lesser, He goes to the greater, to the one who now speaks from heaven. Think about this in relationship to chapter 2, where we read, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken even through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? This word, this gospel that was spoken by our Lord and confirmed by those who heard Him as He gave them utterance and also signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to His will. The question that comes to us today as people who have been so privileged to hear the voice of Him who speaks from heaven. The message comes to you and to me alike. Are we refusing Him who speaks from heaven? Listen up. The author to the Hebrews is so pastoral. Listen up. Please listen. Don't refuse Him who speaks from heaven. And he quotes Haggai. He says, I am going to shake not only earth, but I'm even going to shake heaven. Notice how he says this in verse 27. Now this, yet once more, indicates the removal of all those things that are being shaken as of things that are made and the things which cannot be shaken may remain. What's he saying? Well, there are things that are shakable that will crumble and fall and fail. And the first thing he may be addressing, especially to these Hebrew Christians who were impacted by Judaizers and impacted by all of the Old Testament um, ceremonies and worship, he's saying to them, there's been a shaking. There's been a shaking of the old, and the old is being shaken out into the new. In a certain sense, that took place on the cross of Calvary as The Lord Jesus Christ suffered and died, conquering death, giving Himself as a sacrifice. 
And there the temple veil was rent in two, and there was access again into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, so that they could draw near to Him. This was further displayed in Pentecost when, when the Word went forth with power and the Gospel and the law was written on their hearts. It went forth through the next 60 years or so until 70 A.D. in, in the destruction of Jerusalem where the temple was destroyed and the religious system was done away with for a time where the ministry of the high priest and all the temple liturgy and the sacrifices were done away with. Because Jesus fulfilled everything that the Old Testament pointed to. And these new Hebrew Christians needed to know that. That's one shaking that took place. That's a shaking really that Haggai is talking about. That he will enter into the temple and he will be the temple and he will fulfill the whole of what the temple pointed to. There's a shaking. But that shaking doesn't end. The Lord Jesus Christ and His coming and His ascension into heaven. But He continually shakes throughout history. He's shaking these New Testament Christians here who were under the bondage of the Roman Empire and the emperor and all the terror of persecution. They thought it might never end. And here we recognize as we look back through history that Jesus Christ is shaking the kingdoms of this world. That the Roman Empire had risen and now we know it had fallen. Where is Rome now? Worried about how they're going to get through their next financial crisis. The empire has risen and the empires have fallen. One business rises as they open their doors and another closes as they close their doors. I remember when I was young, we always went to Kmart. I don't know if you had Kmarts in Canada or not. Now we go to Walmart. There's no Kmarts. One business opens and another closes. Things are shaken. Things are shaken not only in empires and in businesses, and they're also shaken in the church. There's churches that have opened their doors. There's churches that have shut their doors. The visible church is one that throughout history has risen and has declined. And many times at the very sifting of God Himself, as He shakes her, that the things which cannot be shaken may remain. There is shaking throughout history in every institution. There's shaking in families. There's shaking in marriages. They're shaking so that the things that we can see and touch, that they would be shaken so that only the things 
that are eternal may remain. And the Lord doesn't only come throughout history in every institution, but He comes with His very Word into our lives and He shakes us. He shakes us as He exposes by His Spirit and His Word the idols that are alive in our hearts. It's like He, he takes our luggage and he, and he dumps it all out. And the idols crash through the floor and break into pieces. Crushed, broken, cast down. He takes our desires and all of our attractions to this world and He dashes them to pieces as He shakes us. He shakes us to the very core of our being as He exposes the self-idolatry and the pride that lives in our hearts. He shakes us. When we come to Mount Sinai and we think that we can approach God through our good works, He shakes us. When He exposes those good works as filthy rags before Him. He shakes us when we think we can bring our experiences to God as a basis of our salvation. He shakes us when we think our feelings are more important than our relationship with God. He shakes us all of the time. He shakes us when we come into affliction. When our bodies are breaking down. He shakes us in times of pandemics. He shakes us on deathbeds. He shakes us with the news of cancer. He shakes us at the graveside of a loved one. All in His good providence that He might shake everything out that ought not to be there. And so only the things that remain will remain. The things that are unshakable. And He's coming one last time in one final eschatological Shaking. And as he shakes in that final shaking, he will shake everything. Heaven and earth and everything that was ever associated with God's creation. Revelation 6 is very clear about that. Revelation 6, we read in verse 12, and that sixth seal, that final seal is opened. What does John see? He beholds a great earthquake, a shaking. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair. And the moon became like blood. And the stars fell to the earth as the fig tree drops its late figs when it's shaken by a mighty wind. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. 
And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man, hid themselves in caves and in rocks of the mountains and said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of Him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of His wrath has come, and who is able to stand? He's coming again to shake heaven and the earth. But you, dear Christian, dear believer, have not come to a kingdom that can be shaken. You have come to an unshakable kingdom. That's why he says, therefore, since we receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken. You have not come to Mount Sinai. You have not come to an earth that is going to be shaken. You have not even come to the heavens that are going to be shaken. You have come to the kingdom of God, to the city of the living God. That's where you have come. To an unshakable kingdom. And it's faith that receives such an unshakable kingdom. This is a kingdom that cannot be shaken because of our union with the Lord Jesus Christ. By faith, we are connected to Him who does all the shaking. And He can never shake us off when we are united to Him. And so therefore, we are in an unshakable kingdom. Because in the unshakable kingdom, we receive the Word of God. Those promises of God that are yea and amen in the Lord Jesus Christ. We receive His Word. We receive His promises. We believe them. We trust them. We receive the Lord Jesus Christ Himself as a Savior. The mediator. The only mediator. The King of this unshakable kingdom. The one who is gathering in His people. Building up His kingdom. His church in this world. Through boys and girls and teenagers and older people. As they set their hearts in a God-centered, focused way. In loyalty to the King of kings. He gathers them. He sits at the right hand of God. And He defends them. He defends His people. Protecting them from the shaking of this world. He protects them. And He preserves them in His kingdom. This is the only way to live and to die happily is to be united to Christ by faith in His unshakable kingdom. It's the only way to Never be shaken. In eternity. On that great day. And it comes. How? It comes through Jesus Christ.
Has it ever occurred to you that God often allows even shakable kingdoms of this world to try to shake His kingdom? Not only allows, He even sometimes uses shakable kingdoms of this world to try to shake His kingdom. And the result is that God's kingdom is established as the only unshakable kingdom through it all. I know many of you are concerned about world events. But if we take a look at history, we need to recognize that there is a sovereign God and sovereign King in control of His kingdom, and He is in control of history. And if you don't believe me, just turn to Psalm chapter 2. Where the Lord says, why do the nations rage? Why do the people plot a, a vain thing against my kingdom? Why do they try to shake my kingdom? Why are they taking counsel to do so? And he says in verse 4, He who sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall hold them in derision. He will speak with them in His wrath and distress them in his deep displeasure. Yet I have set my king on my holy hill of Zion, and he shall never be shaken. And Zion shall never be shaken. The city of God shall never be shaken. The kingdom of God and his son will never be shaken. As a matter of fact, he's the one who does the shaking. He says, he has given the nations to you for your inheritance and the ends of the earth for your possession and you shall break them with the rod of iron and dash them to pieces like a potter's vessel. So therefore be wise and kiss the Son. Believe Him. Hear His voice and don't harden your heart today. There is one who is in sovereign control and He is the King of this eternal, unshakable kingdom. Look again throughout history. Look where the emperors lay in their graves. Look at the broken walls of the empires and the kingdoms of this world. Everything is shaken in God's providence, in God's judgment. But one thing remains, the kingdom of our Lord Jesus Christ. And you, dear believer, have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. But you just draw near to Him by faith and listen to Him. And don't refuse Him who speaks from heaven. This one who speaks welcoming words saying, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest so that you would never be shaken. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. I'm gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Faith believes him who speaks. And he does so Christian does so by receiving an unshakable kingdom. 
But secondly, he also does so by receiving grace to serve God acceptably. Notice verse 28. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. It's amazing to see how Hebrews is so similar to Romans here. In Romans chapters 1 through 11, Paul is setting forth before the Romans the the glorious doctrines of salvation. And and there, all of a sudden, he comes to the end of this discourse and doxology. And in chapter 12, he opens it up and says, This is your reasonable service. Your reasonable service. And so also here he says, since you have received this kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace by which we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Isn't this your reasonable service? And isn't this the grace that God gives us in in our lives? To serve God. To be a living sacrifice unto God. Dedicating our, our life to the Lord and to His people in the city of God. It's the response of those who have been redeemed through the precious blood of the Lamb. When we present ourselves and draw near to God in the city of God, that we also would seek to serve God. That's the grace of of service, or reasonable service. Secondly, he's drawing our attention to the grace of reverent, holy worship. To be able to worship God in reverence and in awe, in the beauty of holiness. As we could talk about this morning, understanding the transcendence of God, the greatness of God, the bigness of God. This one who with the very word of His mouth, can shake both the heavens and the earth. We worship Him with reverence and in awe and with humility and holy fear. Not not with arrogance and man-centeredness and carelessness, but in awe of the grace that we've received from our great God that we are privileged to be citizens of His unshakable kingdom. Because we don't deserve His mercy. We don't deserve His grace. As a matter of fact, we deserve the opposite. We we deserve God to draw back from us and to flee from us and to say, I have nothing to do with you. And yet, He comes close to us in worship. as a big God who is close to us. It demands our reverence. It demands our awe in worship and in service. But this grace and service also is a grace that gives a holy urgency. A holy urgency. 
because we live our entire lives one foot from eternity. One step from eternity. We live our entire lives one breath from being face to face with God. Every single one of us. Every single person you come into contact with. Do you believe that? Do you believe our God is a consuming fire? Do you believe that He has given His Son as a demonstration of His love and of His mercy? That those who would believe on Him should never perish in His consuming wrath but have everlasting life? Do you really believe that? Faith. It understands the holy urgency of the Gospel. And it believes that that gospel is the very power of God unto salvation. And that that gospel can never be shaken. So do you believe that Christ is sufficient, His work is sufficient for your salvation, but also my spouse's salvation, for my children's salvation, for my neighbor's salvation. And Christ commissions us knowing God is a consuming fire, to bring that gospel with that kind of urgency. The urgency that His wrath deserves. And the urgency that His love deserves. And to see that, we simply come to the cross And we come to the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there on the cross we see that Lamb of God taking away the sins of the world. How? By bearing the full wrath of God. All of our sins heaped upon Him. And there He bears the wrath of God against our sin. You want to know the terror of God and the terror of His wrath. Look to the cross. Who would do such a thing to His only begotten Son if sin wasn't so heinous and had to be dealt with? Behold the cross to see the consuming fire of our God and bend the knee in reverence and awe and worship Him. 
Take others with you to the cross and point them to the wrath of God. But don't forget to take them to the love of God. Because there he demonstrates his love as he shakes the heavens and the earth. And he will do so one last time. I don't know when that will be. It might be today. Last week you heard a sermon on the terrors of those fruitful, fruitless branches. When our Lord comes again, the question is, will you endure his shaking? The earth will shake at his coming. The heaven will shake at his coming. And every single soul that ever lived will be shaken. Those who are united to the Lord Jesus Christ and in his kingdom will never fall away. They will never be shooken out into eternal condemnation. But they will be preserved in the city of the living God. But it requires this. Listen. To him who speaks from heaven. Hear his voice and don't refuse his salvation. Receive it and believe it to the saving of your soul. Amen. <clears throat> Lord, we, We come to the end of this section on Romans chapter 12 and we confess that you are a God who is a consuming fire. And we confess that we deserve that fire that descended upon your Son on the cross of Calvary. When he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? when he endured our hell, bearing our sins and the very wrath of the Almighty God. O Lord, draw us near unto yourself, to that cross, to see that love displayed. And while we were yet sinners, you gave your Son to die for us and motivate us to serve you acceptably. To worship you with reverence and godly fear. We need your grace. And we look unto you, the author and finisher of our faith. And we ask that you would 
Shower us with every spiritual blessing of what you have purchased for us. For it is in your name we pray. Amen.